When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Owen Murphy and Ken. Hi, guys. Hey, Owen, how are you? If you thought last week's war of words between Neil Francis and the Welsh media over the two-month-old tub of flora comment was incendiary. I'm sure you did. You and I did, I did. Blown away that. Well, hold on to your hats, guys, because this week's hype machine has churned out former Scotland coach Jim Telfer, who says, ahead of the deciding day of Six Nations, Six Nations action, I think Joe Schmidt is a good coach. But I, but I think he's sometimes... Well, they think he's a messiah because he's won so much. Well, he looked pretty ordinary on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And on Saturday, I think Gatland won the Battle of the Tactics. <laughs> this is all we've got. This is all we've got to feast they on. Supposed to be, they're supposed to be our Celtic cousins. Yeah. I mean, whatever... I mean, we've all seen Braveheart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think no nobler uh, uh, symbol of the Scottish-Irish the Scottish relationship. I mean... They all got along, didn't they? Oh, no, wait, no, the Irish screwed them over in the end, did they? No. Yeah. Forgot that. No, it was the, the treacherous English had it all stitched up. Yeah, but... Which everyone's horror. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how realistic it was, though, if the events depicted in Braveheart ever, in, in fact, happened that way. I'm not sure. But listen, we're out here to... to Is that really the Mel worst Gibson's. thing? Is that really the worst thing that anyone has, has said, that Joe Schmidt is not the Messiah and no. that Warren Gatlin got the better of him last week? It's funny you should ask that, Ken, because... It's not the worst thing that anyone said. Okay. Jim Telfer continues. Uh oh. They aren't a reasonably good side, as they have been over the years, but they're not world beaters. Yeah. Yeah, that's all we're getting. So that's that's the raw. Nobody meat. says anything. Nobody. It, when Gatland doesn't do it anymore. Although he did say this week that it's, it's the reason that Wales don't win even more than they do is because they always have. Uh, it might have a point here. They always have a, a really hard fixture up first. Generally, they seem to play England quite a lot. And he said. And one team in the tournament seems to play uh, one of the stronger teams seems to play one of the weaker teams quite often on the opening fixture and quite clearly he's up in Ireland against Italy Ireland get Italy first up quite a lot now there's an argument there that maybe Italy are better to get um, better know, to get last know, Warren Gatlin sounds a bit like Jose Mourinho with his tinfoil hat there mm. what's he suggesting warm balls he doesn't know he's, he's, not, he's not suggesting anything again heated balls and that uh, little is that, how, is that how they do it in the six nations no, How the, do they make the, the, the draw? Uh, the fixtures just come out one day. There they are. They're the fixtures for the following for the. But uh, man, how do the fixtures generate? Computer. And of course, Cloak of course, the IRB is based in which European city? But it's World Rugby these days. Now, where, whereabouts is it? Answer based? the question. Dublin. Dublin. So, you know, two and two. The team is in. Simon Zebo and Jack McGrath are out. McGrath drops to the bench with Keane Healy starting. Zebo's out of the 23 altogether, somewhat unluckily. I think Luke Fitzgerald starts his first game for Ireland since 2011, I was reading today, is that right? Anyway, for all the strengths of Joe Schmidt as a coach, he's going to be doing well to cushion that blow for, for Zebo. Is there a correct way of dropping a player? What way would you like to hear the news if you were told you're out? The Homer Simpson method. Which is? Uh, I'll, I'll, I like your... Uh, 
I like your hustle. That's why it's so hard to catch you. So you like a compliment. You like to be told something nice. Because I get the sense that anytime you hear these stories, it's not that often you hear them, actually. It, only in spectacular cases. Brian O'Driscoll eventually revealed a little bit about the circumstances surrounding his being dropped by Warren Gatland. We've heard a couple of Irish... Declan Kidney didn't sound like he was great at handling these situations. The, these man management dropping... Well, these specific uh, mm. issues where you're either ending a guy's career internationally um, or you're uh, just ending... Just dropping them from the team. There are a couple of Ron O'Gara. I remember felt that it was there was quite an awkward exchange. But that's not really slight in Declan Kidney. I don't know any coach that would be very good mm. at dropping players. You know, well, like, I mean, he's got to drop a load of players every game. You know, sorry, Zebo. You know, if you want to get back in the team, start playing better. Yeah, simple as it's, that. it's simple as that. I mean, I saw Joe Schmidt's press conference, and he uh, he 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 talked about it in the nicest possible way. I mean, he made he took pains to talk about how much Zebo had worked on his game, how much he's improved how outstanding he'd been in all the recent tests, but said, unfortunately, he's just showing some signs of wear and tear. Well, that's the Homer Simpson. <laughs> that's exactly what Murphy's just described there. Well, that's, I mean, that's what he said to the, to the media anyway. Yeah, yeah. Know, I, don't know how he, I don't know how he dealt with it with, with Zebo himself. But, you know, he was very, it was, it was as diplomatic as it's possible to be. I, I get the sense most Zebo's players... just given so much. He's given yeah. so much to the Irish cause that the poor lad... Is is battered? He's broken. He's drained. He needs to be. He needs me to wrap him in cotton wool. I'm going to be. I'm going to take duck. him out of the firing line. Yeah, I get the sense most players don't really listen. To be honest, when you're told you're dropped, it, it, as in you you hear that first part, and I don't know how much you're you're taking in. Different people might react in different ways, but I think the human reaction is to not care about the next sentence. Yeah, or the sentence after that. Maybe you'll think about that in a few days. How you get yeah. back into the team? I think you know. Things. I think there are, there is an easier way to do it. And I remember in school. In secondary school, the team is just being posted up on a notice board. <laughs> so the entire school could either, you know, bathe in your reflected glory <laughs> or be witness to your humiliating uh, withdrawal from the team. I think that maybe that's just, they should just do that. You know, like, I'm, what question do you want answered when when the time comes? You didn't make the team. What can I tell you? Great for Lucas Gerald. Anyway, we'll have his Leinster teammate Shane Jennings in studio along with Shane Horgan. On the issue of naming squads, Ken, I see Harry Kane is in line to make his England debut. Uh, yeah, bloody right, Harry Kane. He's uh, uh, a lot of people suggesting that the uh, the team should be built around him. Well, why not? Uh, he's won two Player of the Month awards in a row. The only other players to have achieved this are uh, Dennis Bergkamp, Robbie Fowler, and I think Cristiano Ronaldo. So that's the company Harry Kane is in. What does that tell you about your... Premier League <laughs> <laughs> was Hodgson asked about that the disaster of Man City being every all the Premier League teams being knocked out uh, I think he kind of said it's no big deal stuff happens uh, from time to time you get your you know you, I mean you, I suppose when you look at it Manchester City got met a, a much better team who would have knocked almost anybody out I think Chelsea got done in away goals you know they probably should have done better definitely Arsenal should have done better. Liverpool were playing badly earlier on the season when they got knocked out. Um, it's it's hard to say. I mean, the you know the English it, team was pretty terrible when there were three English teams in a, in the semi finals or whatever. So I mean. yeah, the English, English team was still terrible then. I mean, the I think the it, it, it's not as though this is just a, a kind of a, a navel gazing sort of obsession of English football either. This is a, very much a hot topic across Europe today. You know, because everybody is like, look at these guys. It's hilarious. It's hilarious from the point of view of every other country that the you know the ones who are always boasting about how much money they have are getting knocked out. Yep. Now, admittedly, by you know Paris Saint Germain, Barcelona, these are not uh, <laughs> these are not little uh, bootstrap uh, kind of clubs. You know, self-made uh, kind of artisan clubs. These are also really rich uh, clubs in most cases. Monaco knocked out Arsenal. They recently underwent a an oligarch-sponsored growth period, you know. Um, but, I mean, they're in a, in a apparently unrelated, but possibly related story, Owen. Yeah. Um, uh, Stephen Fletcher is uh, has become the target, has made himself into a target for, uh, let's say, mockery. Owned by, uh, a fo- there's a photograph of Stephen Fletcher, which has appeared. I'm not sure if he actually tweeted it himself. Uh, it came out on Twitter. And what it is is Stephen Fletcher standing in front of what I'm told uh, is a Lamborghini Aventador, which, I don't know, maybe means adventurer in Spanish, Mm. Aventador. Uh, 
is driven by Bruce Wayne in The Dark Knight Rises. It's worth three hundred thirty thousand. It's a Batmobile. Pounds. That's what we're saying here. Have you seen there it is. You seen it? That's uh, that's Fletcher standing in front of the supercar. The supercar uh, rough, comes up roughly to his waist. So it's a little taller than his waist. Look at him there. Yeah, that's see impressive. That? You, see yeah. That? you see that? See the, see the size of the house he's standing next to. Yeah. You see that house? Yeah. Yeah. Nice, isn't it? Looks big, that's doesn't his, it? That's his it's gaffer. Very big. Looks almost more like a hotel. See that there? Yeah. It's a Bentley. Okay, that's, that's the a, other car there. That's, a, that's a 100, 150 grand's worth of Bentley. Okay. And there's Stephen Fletcher with his seven goals in two seasons. And uh, that's uh, ah, come on. That's what you get. Come on. That's what you get at the Premier Ma- League. That's Ma- what you get in the Premier League. Young man earns millions a year and spends some hundreds of thousands on fancy cars. Mm. So it's not exactly the most scandalous thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is a guy who's, who's at a... One of the, the one of the clubs in the Premier League that's struggling to stay in it. He's not been a, an outstanding performer for them for a couple of seasons, um, and he likes nice cars. He certainly does, and 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 thankfully that level of performance is enough to get you a Lamborghini Aventador. I'm looking forward to our slot with US Murph this week because the big story involves a a local or a guy who certainly has played for the San Francisco 49ers doesn't play for them anymore Chris Borland is the name of this guy he was one of the best rookie players in the NFL last year he's announced his retirement you may well have read a bit about this story aged 24 not because of any specific injury but because of his concerns Murph over his long term physical and mental health he's basically gone and done a huge amount of research on concussions and come to the conclusion that he is better off passing up a potentially lucrative career in the NFL. Yeah, and uh, by no means uh, a rotation filler. This guy was destined to be a really, really good player for the 49ers. Had a breakout season last year in his first season in the NFL. He made more tackles in the NFL between week 7 and week 15 than any other player on any other team. So the guy's a He's a legit player who would have played for ten or twelve years in the league, and uh, but did the whole concussion story? This isn't a guy who's had his bell rung in the parlance um, six or seven times and decides he's ta- he's going to take himself out of it. He's been concussed twice, and it actually dates back to training camp last year, last August. He got hit in a, running a play. He's not a he's not a huge guy. He's a little undersized for the position that he plays, linebacker. He's like five eleven or something. And he got concussed, walked off. There wasn't any issue about how he was treated or anything like that, but that led him to ask, is this my life now? Am I just going to spend the next 10 years having my bell run, rung like this, getting run over by these gigantic running backs? Um, and it kind of started from there. So uh, all through the season, reading, uh, reading books behind uh, his teammates' backs. Uh, consulting a- with neurologists, consulting yeah. with former players. And he just decided, right, well, um, as he said himself in an interview this week, when you're negotiating your wealth against your personal uh, health, that is not a good situation to be in. And uh, he decides to walk away from it all. So, I mean, it's it's weird to say, right, well, this could be the the, the tipping point, the domino falls, this is, you know, the, the tipping point, when a couple of years ago a Hall of Famer you know, shoots himself in the chest and commits suicide by shooting himself. Yeah, in the- and the NFL settles for a billion dollars with a bunch of former players yeah, over I, concussion-related issues. Yeah, I don't think you can say that this is the one thing that's definitely going to push it over the edge. But at the same time, it's a pretty big story. <laughs> it's not going to push it over the edge. Well, I mean, you know, people have been taking physical risks for money since forever. I mean, people are prepared to. This guy obviously wasn't prepared to make that uh, make that decision. He sounds to me like somebody who might have prospects in some other field. He does, yeah, and that's part of the um, one of the strains of uh, conversation coming out of this. That the, we'll get into that, that with, you, with the US Murph, but he said himself, "I'm a, a middle class guy. I've got my college degree. I'm going to pursue other options now." That's clearly not the case with a lot of no. players who end up in, in the NFL. But still, there are a lot of college degree holders in the NFL still playing and going through ten, twelve years, ten, twelve year careers. Um, getting seriously concussed and, and, and taking that hit it's pretty rare that anyone just walks away from a sport voluntarily the equation he was presented with is very different to even a rookie three years ago the, the, the amount of information that was the around. amount of information that he could find uh, over the last 12 months is a world away even from what you could have found out five years ago the NFL is a very different place so I think in in that respect 
it's uh, it's a pretty interesting topic. We'll get back to that later. Simon is over here now, though. Simon, two big calls by Joe Schmidt, the right ones? Yeah, I think so, for different reasons. I think Luke Fitzgerald has been really, really close. There's probably, realistically, very little between himself and Zebo. Um, Luke himself has said that he was told by Joe that even during the Six Nations, it was a, a whisker between himself and Zebo. Oh, yeah, he was, to- he was told he was getting close. Yeah, he revealed yeah. That in public, yeah. And you don't know whether that's just a coach keeping a player's hopes up or not. But um, when Zebo's performance did slip that tiny little bit, and it is the most disappointing Six Nations performance Ireland have had uh, under Joe Schmidt, then you probably need changes. Uh, the pack were pretty good last week. The back line let themselves down a little bit. So it's an obvious change to make, not a particularly difficult one. And Joe's had great experiences with Luke Fitzgerald. Um, and one of the things, the power plays that haven't worked great for Ireland, they've sort of half worked. Luke Fitzgerald's actually had a prominent role in quite a number of them for Leinster. And they're about execution and tiny margins. And uh, Luke is really, really good at that. So that might have been one of the factors that pushed in his way. And then Keen Healy, maybe because he's... He actually hasn't impressed that much relative to his previous career coming off the bench in the last well, few games. Well, he butchered the try chance against Wales for a start. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just... Uh, like Wales actually looked quite offside when you look back at it. But yeah, it was partially his fault. Uh, he gave away that penalty. Um, really poor tackle on, on Dan Cole in the England game. Um, and he, he's just looked a little over-eager, over-anxious, trying too hard to impress... And maybe his personality isn't suited to coming off off the bench. So you don't want to get him out of the 23 altogether. So you either... You have to start Keane Healy, kind of. Played his, rather than playing his way off the panel, he's played his way into the starting lineup. It's, it's an interesting one. Shane Horgan is good to go now, and Shane Jennings has arrived. Shane, how are you? How are you doing, lads? Uh, the big news is that Luke Fitzgerald is back in. We've been talking a bit more uh, so far about the, the fact that Zebo's out and um, how exactly uh, that's going to impact on him. But great news for Luke Fitzgerald, a teammate of yours at Leinster, who's hasn't played for Ireland for a, a number of years now. Yeah, it is great news for him. He's had a, he's had a difficult... Well, you'd say a season, but probably maybe two or three seasons with injuries from obviously the severe neck injury he had and then coming back, he's had problems with his groin and his pelvis and things like that. And for a person like me, it probably wouldn't affect because I don't put that much force or power through my body when stepping. But for a guy like that, it's his game. And um, I think he's taken a long time. He's worked very hard and he's a guy that I've probably watched doing rehab for the last couple of months. And when I say months, it's not two or three. It's probably seven, eight, nine months doing these tedious exercises Um that he needed to do so I'm actually really delighted for him that he's got his opportunity you know it's tough when you're down in camp and you, uh, you're you itching to play and you, you don't get the chance so uh, unfortunately for Zebo, who hasn't actually played all that bad to be fair um, Luke's got in so yeah I'm sure he's itching and uh, I'm sure he'll make a big impact because uh, he's coming back to some of the, some of his best rugby so I hope it goes well for him It looked really bad for him a couple of years back there was talk of maybe not getting another contract uh, and he as I said he hasn't played for Ireland for quite a long time has he kept ahead up during all that time? No of course he hasn't he's <laughs> You're hardly going to be a bundle <laughs> yeah, of energy exactly uh, the poor the fella I was injured for 12 weeks and I was suicidal so uh, that guy's been in and out for the last genuinely probably the last two or three years and obviously with the neck injury I'm no doctor, but you could see the severity of it when he was coming back, whether he should continue to play. A guy like me was probably saying, here, are you making the right decision? But obviously there's medical experts that know what they're talking about, and they said, listen, he's fine to go ahead. But he's he's had some dark days, and like doing rehab every day is torture. And if you're doing that for a long, long time, you know, it can break your spirit. So I'm sure he's had some dark days. Uh, but it shows the quality of the guy, you know. Um, he's, he wants this. He's hungry for it. And uh, that's why I'm just touching a bit of wood here that it actually goes well for him that he doesn't pick up a knock because when he's at his best, he's he's one of the best around. Unlucky for Simon Zebo, Shane Horgan to drop straight out of the 23. Yeah, hugely. I think he's had his best few performances in an Irish jersey. Uh, he's been pretty consistent. Um, I think the difficulty with Simon is just his physical stature is, is an issue, and that's increasingly an issue. Uh, for for rugby players trying to compete at the highest level, you almost have to be massive. And I thought the back three for Wales last weekend bullied our back three a bit physically. They dominated in the air. Even their tackle time, you could see um, they really got stuck into both Tommy Bow and uh, and Zebo and to a lesser extent um, Rob Carney. They did dominate in that area, and I, that's probably what. Um, Joe was looking at for a bit of a shake-up, bringing Luke Fitzgerald. He's very good in the air, very physical, very powerful runner. I think the other thing, a little bit more experience or a little bit more of a dominant personality um, in the back three would help. We saw that the ball wasn't moved as wide as 
you know, as it should have been or as often as um, Irish backs would have liked. But that needs a first receiver to get in there and dominate. And I think Luke is someone who's very comfortable to go in a first receiver. Simon probably less so, especially if he's going to be moving the ball. Um, Tommy hasn't been getting in a first receiver as much as he'd like. I think there's a couple of issues uh, around that and reasons for that. Uh, Jonathan Sexton is such a dominant 10 that he likes being first receiver all the time. He likes controlling the game. He likes managing the game himself. And that leads to two issues. One, people don't get the chance to do it as often. And also, um, they feel intimidated to do it. You know, Jonathan is a very big personality. So someone stepping into that role has to be very confident to do it. I think Luke will have the confidence to step in and, and help, uh, help his halfbacks out. Shane, I remember when Luke first came into the team, he was so young. And he won everything straight away with Ireland uh, and with Leinster and then was a Lion. And he just looked like he was going to sail through his career. And then since then, it's been almost nonstop problems, as, as you talked about, Shane. Um, but for a guy to, you know, for to so much talent to be there from a young age and schools as well. He won everything at schools and everybody knew he was going to be good even before he came to Leinster. Um, but then for all these things to happen, to him, d- does that make him a more rounded player? Like, does that manifest itself on the pitch when he goes back to play for Ireland again? Well, we don't know. We don't know uh, really uh, what effect it has on, on a career. It, there's a number of ways it can go. It, it can make you anxious. It can make you uh, have more desire. I think naturally as you progress in your career, I think you realise that you have a limited opportunity, a limited scope for performances and leaving a mark and winning medals. Now, he won a lot of his very early on um, and that has an effect too. But you're right. The fact that he's been out, that he's seen the dark days, that he, he... diced really with retirement and now he's had a second opportunity you'd like to think that uh, it allows him to play an inhibited game and to really enjoy his rugby but it could equally be oppressive for him yeah it could be and just on on zebo uh, shane i saw somebody tweeting shane jennings that uh zebo couldn't get into the team because he couldn't do the basics and now he's out of the team because he's only doing the basics is there a certain element of truth to that He's, he's kind of done what Joe Schmidt wanted. He's gotten into the team. And OK, didn't have a great game last time out, but uh, pretty pretty good Six Nations in terms of kick chase, all that kind of stuff. And now he's out. Yeah, I think so. I think with the English game, you probably saw his best game from what Joe probably asked him of. Um, I think the competition in the back three, whether it's wing or full back, is, is pretty impressive with the quality of players that are around, with obviously Keith playing down and Munster now getting some games under his belt, Dave Carney coming back, and then the guys who are obviously there. Um, yeah, I think nobody knows what goes on in Joe's head. Nobody knows what he's saying to the guys who are there, thereabouts in camp and aren't aren't getting selected. So he might have said, listen, from day one, we're going to give Luke a shot, whether, whether that's Wales, whether that's Scotland, who knows. I think if Zebo hadn't played as well against England as he did, you might have seen this a bit earlier. And he was rewarded for that performance. So, um, yeah, like if you're Zebo, you would feel pretty hard done by. Um, Is Schmidt good at dealing with those situations? We hear mostly about his tactical acumen. Is he good on a one-to-one basis? Because there's no good way of telling a guy, listen, you're out of the 23. I don't think anybody's good at it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Like any coach is going to make one guy happy and he's going to piss off another guy. And there's no way of sugarcoating that. Just no, there's not. Just tell him he's out of the team, explain that he can get back. And 100%. That's I think that's, that's, that's the issue and I think I've been in that position with Joe. I've been in that position with other coaches. I've been in the position where other coaches would always pick me and probably unfairly. The old, every coach has his go-to guys and if you're not one of those go-to guys, you want to be dealt, at, you want to be dealt with in a mature manner and say, here, listen, you're not in this week. You didn't do this right. We're going to give this guy an opportunity. If you improve on this, you have every opportunity to get back in. You can't hit them with some story of, here, listen, you missed two tackles or you fell off this. And that's a bit airy-fairy. And then you're going to come back at the coach and you'll actually probably leave frustrated and you won't work on the things that you need to work on to get that confidence in the coach to maybe pick you again. So I think that's what all coaches probably find difficult. It's not easy giving guys bad news, you know. So... um I don't know what way he's doing it in Ireland. Uh, I'm sure Joe has evolved since his time in Leinster. But uh, I remember John O'Gibbs coming up to me before one of the Heineken finals under when Joe was head coach. And he goes, you're not in. You're going to come on at halftime. You're going to do this. And that's it. And I was like, gee, like it's, it's tough to take. You've got to be a man about it. You've got to accept it and go, OK, listen, there's method to your madness. I've got to trust you if this is what you're saying to me. And then 
if you're that player, you really got to make the most of the opportunity you get. And he only can do that, I think, with a certain amount of players. You know, he's done that with Owen Redden in Leinster. That's interesting that it was, and it was John O'Gibbs who gave you that news. Well, he, was Schmidt- the for- he was the forwards yeah, coach. Sure, so he just said it to me. I just said, because I had a good relation with John, I said, what's the story here? Maybe on a Monday afternoon or whatever else. Because it's easier getting that information early on in the week. So you're not carrying it with you and you're not frustrated and you're not pissed off and you're not taking out in teammates and you're not having a sulk where other lads go going, here, listen, he needs to pull his head in. So if you're told early on in the week, you can deal with it. You can go away, have your bitch and have your moan if you want, or you can have a good session and have a blow it on a Monday so you get rid of that bit of frustration. Then you can refocus and concentrate. Okay, I'm still in the 22. This is my role. I, may, I need to make sure that I know X, Y, and Z if I do come on to make sure that I'm putting the pressure on Joe next time to say, listen, I did everything you asked of me. You said you'd give me a chance. Are you going to give me the chance? If you didn't do what you said he wanted you to do, then you don't really have anything to stand on. It's Jack McGrath in that situation this week, Shane Horgan, uh, in that he's still in the 23 and he will presumably come on at some stage. Are you in any way surprised that Keane Healy is back in? We know the quality of Healy as a player, but uh, he maybe hasn't had, either hasn't had a chance or hasn't managed to show that off the bench so far in the campaign. Yeah, it's not a, that wasn't a difficult decision to make. I'm not saying that Jack McGrath hasn't doing well, wasn't doing well, but of all the decisions you could make, there's not going to be a whole lot of flack um, thrown around for bringing Keane Healy back in the starting. And also the rewards or risks aren't huge. Sorry, the, the, the risks aren't huge. You bring in Keane Healy, the chances are he's going to do well. There's also opportunity that he could do brilliantly well. And you've got still got Jack McGrath on the bench who can come on and play the solid, consistent game that he has. Um, I think it probably is a game for Keane Healy. It's a game where... In, it's about having putting some points on the board. It's about having someone that can make a few line breaks, that can do something extraordinary. Uh, he's got capacity to do that more, certainly, than Jack McGrath has. Uh, the likelihood is that it, it may evolve into a loose game. That's what Scotland, you know, their style is probably the loosest in the Six Nations. Um, I'm saying that in a positive way. Um, and I think if it opens up, or even if it doesn't open up, I think you've got more opportunity to get over the try line um, or have big busts with, with Keane Healy and the team. Something that's really noticeable, Shane, is with Luke and with Keane Healy, their enthusiasm. I mean, obviously, every player at this level has an incredible amount of enthusiasm and ambition. But for those two, it really shows itself physically on the pitch and the way they play. And actually, it, it can sometimes be a little bit of a negative, almost over-eagerness, trying too hard at times. But do you think that might be a thought in Joe's head, given, given where they've come from with this, well, maybe the most damaging defeat he's had as an international coach, to bring these two guys in who are just bubbling over, like it, it will be shown on the pitch how excited they are. Yeah, I think so. I think um, Jack has probably been one of the standout performers so far in the Six Nations. I think he knows he had to be not to give Keane a chance before now, you know. But like you said, Keane's attitude is infectious and he can do things on a pitch that nobody can do. He's a bit of a, he's a, bit of a generic freak or a genetic freak. Like he's just so strong and so powerful and like even when you're scrummaging on him the damage he does and then in loose when he carries really good defender when he's when he's zoned in and like you said he can lift guys around him same with Luke Luke can do things in a pitch that not a lot of guys can and can create space I think the thing that they need to concentrate on is just managing that emotion imagining that excitement in the correct manner and if they can do that they'll definitely influence guys around them because uh they're two pretty exceptional characters. The other big news, team team news today, Simon, is that Sergio Prise is ruled out of the Italian game, uh, Italy-Wales game, through injury. And I know already, talking to you in the office yesterday, you were starting, you're getting more and more worried about that Wales game as opposed to England-France and thinking that Wales could do it. So you're probably 100% convinced now that it's going to be Wales' title. Yeah, this weekend is strange in that all three games, we'll be watching all 80 minutes of all three games because it matters. And what the result matters, obviously, but also the points differential. So, Literally every play for these three games matters. And Parise, their best tackler, their best defender, the man who might just inspire them to a reasonably resilient performance is out. And, God, that's bad news for Ireland. I think it is. I think when we saw Italy play against Scotland, he didn't trust anybody else to get on the ball when they were mauling. He was getting on it immediately and trying to work his way back to the back of the mall as quickly as possible. And I think people look to him in that Italian squad every week and I'm sure they do in the environment every week to lead and to show them direction and when he's not there you would wonder who's the next guy up whether they bring Bordelami back in because he's been captain before whether I don't know whether he deserves to be picked or not I don't know so um, yeah it's it's hugely uh, 
it's probably not the best not, news for not Ireland. Not great news from our point of yeah. view. Shane Horgan, how do we go about uh, the players and the management have to say it's not about a target, it's about winning the game. But realistically, it is about a target and Ireland have had mixed success over the years chasing these sort of targets. How do they go about it in, on Saturday? Yeah, it is It is very difficult because it's a balance between really going after the game and there's no point in scoring you know, four tries and, and conceding four tries. And if you do loosen up the game, if you do take a little bit more of a risk, then you do leave yourself open to intercepts, uh, balls on the ground. Um, you're very ex- um, susceptible to a good transition game. And Scotland actually have a very good transition game. From And what I mean by that is when, the, when one team is attacking and there's an error or a mistake and the ball is turned over, they go straight into the attack really quickly. And I think it's an element of Ireland's game that isn't great and they'll need to be good at the weekend. But Scotland can certainly um, undo Ireland with that. My main experience of it was in 2007 when we had to to go to Italy and we had to put a a big score on. And it does, you know, it is something that's built in the second half. And it's hard, it's very difficult when you don't know how many points you have to score. It's much, much easier when you know how many points you can score, have to score because you can build your game. Um, you can, again, calculate the risk level that you have to make. You can score X amount in the first period, X amount in the second, or you know, split your halves into, into two halves again. But when you're, when you're searching for a goal that you don't know the end point is and you keep on going and going and going, uh, you, what can happen is what happened to us um, against Italy and you, you can be pushing for an extra try that you don't really need. So it might be good uh, news, Shane, if Wales do actually set a target. At least then there's something concrete. They can maybe say, let's not worry about England. Let's just chase down Wales's target here. Yeah, I'd be actually... That's. Uh, I don't know how much of a target Wales... The thing that Ireland... Or, that, that Wales will be looking for. We can look to the to Wales game about if Italian players start going into the into the sin bin, and if that starts happening, then um, Wales have got a chance to put up a huge score. You know, you've already said their captain, the leader, is gone. If they have two men in the sin bin, you know, during the game or one sent off, then you've got an opportunity to put a huge score up, and they have a capacity to do that. Now, that may give Ireland. Uh, a score to go for but even still they have got this theoretical score that England are going to be France by and that's going to be back of their head and I know every team and every coach will always say you have to win the game first and you do but not only do you have to win the game you have to win it by more than four but you also know you're going to have to win it by more than four as well Uh, so you'll be looking to score tries Almost unfair to ask for a prediction Shane given that there are, are so many variables but do you think Ireland will emerge as Six Nations champions? Yeah, I think it's probably it. It's more probable that, that they will. I think beating France, although now I, I'm I'm still skewed by my historical um, re- references to France and the way they're playing at the moment, they shouldn't be a threat at all to England. But they've got capacity to to play one big game, and they do have that. We saw that last year in the championship. Probably less capacity this year than they did last year, but I still think that they could perform. I don't think I don't think. Um, England will put 20 on them, for example. And I think Ireland could end up putting 15 or something similar on uh, on Scotland on a good day. And I think that would be enough. Shane Jennings? Yeah, I'd be along the same lines. I was thinking about 20 points because I think they know and understand the severity of kind of the implications if they don't. Easier said than done, though. Like Shane was saying there, um, who would have a lot more experience playing against Scotland than I would. And you're playing against a home team who haven't won yet who will want to end on a high and who are very dangerous So uh, and who know that you're coming to put up a total on them which is kind of it's not disrespectful but you might be able to feel that it's disrespectful oh, if very much so yeah very much so so yeah it's a huge challenge um, and then but as I think as we're all aware you really got to physically impose yourself and I think that's where the lads will probably be hurting from last week they'll want to go out and do that and if they can do that wear them down hopefully the scores will start coming 50, 60, 70 minutes but yeah easier said than done but I would have thought and hoped that maybe 20 points will do the job yes alright Shane Horgan Shane Jennings brilliant still thanks a million cheers thank you Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes I'm talking about, Alan. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. 
He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Confident predictions from the two boys. I hope Jim Telfer is not listening to that. 15, 20 point wins for, for Ireland. Just on uh, Luke Fitzgerald, uh, we, we've talked about a bit about him bit about him at this stage but you mentioned before we chatted the lads there Simon about these power plays that Ireland tried to execute Murray Kinsella wrote uh, really good if you like those sort of really detailed really intense intensive uh, sort of uh, tactical pieces on rugby in particular uh, Murray Kinsella is very good in these and he wrote one on the 42.ie where he's illustrating his points through video after video and gif after gif and all the rest of it uh, he, a lot of those a lot of our plays were very close to working and there was one tiny detail that might have been a little bit off, which if, if it had come through... And a lot of those details, to me, seem to... I've looked at a couple of these articles now, seem to involve players either being really sneaky or not sneaky enough. The one quality that you need to be a top-level player on the international level seems to be just accidentally obstruct... Accidentally yeah. on purpose obstruct the, the other team. The only reason there's ever a line break anymore is because somebody's obstructing. <laughs> and it's about the subtlety of your sneakiness. Uh, and, pa- and Paul O'Connell seems very good at it. I'm just saying that. Gentleman's O'Connell game, though, of course. Gentleman's game, game, on. Like banking in a lot of respects. Murray, Murray makes a good point in the midst of that article that the confidence that would come from one of those things finally working, having had four games in a row where everything's on the brink, it looks like Ireland are just about to break through and not quite do it. If it happens in the first 10, 15 minutes, it could be a completely different Ireland that we see after that. All right, today's football podcast is out now. Thanks for that, Simon. And the football podcast centres around one man, Ken. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? What car on do you think Lionel Messi drives? Ford Focus. Incorrect. Oh, it's a Maserati Gran Turismo MC Stradale. Um, Stradale is uh, Italian for fast. Is it? Yeah. Well, they, I haven't a clue. They reached the top speed of 188 miles per hour. So. That's pretty fast. And it costs £107,000 sterling, which is to say about a third of what uh, Stephen Fletcher's car costs. The same car, incidentally, is that driven by which superstar of world football? Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo also drives the Lamborghini Aventador. So the point... So who are to get parts for, though, Ken? <laughs> this is... The, there is no direct link between how rich a league is and how good it is. The Premier League just pays more. It doesn't mean the players are any better. In fact, it just pays more to players who aren't as good. Uh, you know, your Stephen Fletcher's can afford a Lamborghini, the kind of car that only Cristiano Ronaldo can get in the Spanish league. But uh, that doesn't mean that they're going to be competitive on the European stage if they come face to face. So that's tangentially discussing. <laughs> Uh, the football show, which is mainly about, mainly about Messi. Messi. Yeah, it's pretty much all about Leo Messi. Uh, thanks, Ken. Murph, I believe you have a little bit of a pee bezel for us. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? You got the potatoes yeah. and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh, yeah, there you are. Own bread, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, pee bezel time. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just on. Sorry, I'm just, not, I'm just not in the mood today. You don't say, yeah, what's... There's no point bringing Pibezo if it's just bad news. It's, uh, it's just going on. It's this email we got last week. What's oh, happened? Yeah. Right, well, it's from this bunch of Neanderthals in Toronto, right? You know the type one. A little better than shaved apes. Yeah. And in the attached picture, one of them is wearing a fake second captain's T-shirt. It's a gray, it's a gray second... And we know what we've produced. Right. <laughs> gray it is. second captain's T-shirt. Show me this. With a big second captain's logo on the front. Uh, I'll, I'll read the email, but this this is rampant criminality on. Uh, hey lads, happy birthday! Belated uh, birthday wishes from uh, Toronto, uh, where you've got a massive group of fans, so fanatic in fact, some of them have started bootlegging second captain merchandise proudly on display in our P bezel picture attached. You know you've made it, eh? Smiley face. They actually mm. put in a smiley face. They're laughing at us, lads. Laughing at us. We were at the Toronto Raptors game last week when they took on LeBron. 
and whilst we couldn't get a picture with the big man himself, the Raptors cheerleaders were happy to oblige. Anyway, thanks for keeping us entertained abroad. Keep up the great work. Best wishes, Graham, Liam, Owen, Keane and Steve. Uh, there were some sleazier remarks in that email, but I've done you all a big favour and removed them uh, for you. But let's get down to brass tacks here, though. This is copyright infringement, yeah. okay? Lawyer up, freaks. But it's They're all right. To get I you. mean, we don't, you know. Well, if we know anything, them. if we know anything about copyright infringement in this Pierce Brosnan immigrant shout-out, that's not important. Our, no. our this business, is the issue we're talking about right now. This is no threat to our business. Our business model appears to be based on manufacturing the merchandise and then giving it away. For, for nothing. Yeah, but that's so. Our... It doesn't matter if other people manufacture the same. It's not like we're making zero. Selling... Our revenue is zero, and it's still zero. Image rights. Yeah, image rights. It's our it, intellectual it's property. Yeah. What was so that thing much. that Keith, Keith Woods uh, uh, campaigned for in the early 2000s? Our intellectual property. Intellectual right, property yeah. rights. Well, that's what we're talking about here. Anyway, if, uh, Keith Wood. I don't I yeah, remember that. Yeah, no. Oh, do you have like Napster in his sights or something? <laughs> I'm coming for you, Sean no, Parker. He's just a. <laughs> he's, he was just a concerned Irish rugby player, concerned that uh, his image was being. Uh, being uh, Unfairly used. Yeah. So if you spot any other second captain's fraud or just want to tell us about what you're up to, I'd farn. Just drop us a mail here, secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. And I was serious, lawyer up. Okay. Keith lawyer Wood up. was just a concerned Irish rugby player. <laughs> he was. That's No, in. I just think I just like the idea of that, you know? Just as the Irish rugby players sitting in their dressing room getting all, uh, you know, kind of cranky about copyright infringement. Let's check in with you, Esmer. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. KMBR is Brian Murphy. How are you this week? Boys, boys, it's been a couple of weeks since I uh, talked to you, and um, and I think we've all talked about this uh, offline, but I'm sending one of my emissaries over to the Republic of Ireland, the great Patrick Connors, going to visit. So I hope you guys can cross paths with him at some point. I understand a, a TV show is going to be taped next week, right? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm taking care of your boy. Don't worry about that. He's uh, he's coming. He's we, I believe he's bringing his mother, his mother Dawn, uh, to yeah, the, like a good, uh, you know, like a good uh, Irish boy, right? Like a good Irish his mother, boy, of course. Right? Yeah, and uh, he's he's coming to our our first uh, live uh, edition of Second Captain's Live. We, yeah, we should night. explain. This With, man is your is your producer, Brian, at the, your longtime radio producer. It's hard to describe, and I don't want to you know get too much of a digression because I know we got to hit the burning issues of U.S. sport. But uh, no, Pat this is Connor fine. is one of the he's <laughs> one of the great radio talents I've ever come across. Second only to you guys, really. Um, he's a uh, a former U.S. Marine, uh, a, a passionate, lunatic uh, college football fan, a savant, a Ph.D., and that kind of thing. But it, most conversant in film, uh, music, um, uh, history, military history, uh, all things sport, and, uh, and not only that, a wicked sense of humor and a great passion for a, uh, a cold lager and a burning cigarette, too. So uh, he's a man of many, many, many <laughs> talents and has... For 10 years, he's basically been uh, carried our show. And uh, so they call him a producer or a board operator, but he's a vital appendage of the show. And uh, God, if he ever left, we'd be missing. It'd be like, you know, you guys got to look around that room right now and think, who's the one guy, if he left, I'd be up a creek? <laughs> you know, Don't give me your answer. Just think it to yourself, boys. <laughs> you know who Owen McDevitt is, is saying is the answer to that question, by the way? That's Owen McDevitt. <laughs> so uh, just, just remember that. Well, Brian, just last week we were talking about, uh, I don't know if uh, we are digressing here, but uh, I don't know if you followed the Jeremy Clarkson story, the Top Gear presenter, a uh, big name presenter in the UK, who was well, is suspended for punching his producer, or alleged, I should say allegedly <laughs> punching his producer. I'm guessing if this guy is a former US Marine, you probably <laughs> you probably don't go down that road with him. No, God, no. I would never take Patrick on in a fight. He is, uh, he has, in fact, uh, and I don't mean to tell too many of his tales out of school, he can tell you all over a pint next week, but uh, he's been known to engage in some hand-to-hand combat through the years, and I think uh, he's <laughs> even admitted when he's come up on the short end at times, he's one of those guys. He'll even tell you about the times he, he that he lost the tooth or got the eye uh, punched out. 
Uh, he has been known in the Marine base, maybe when they, you know, when, they, when you know when those Marines go out and let their hair down, get a little R and R, they uh, they tend to uh, they tend to say uh, they they tend to let it spill over into some uh, gladiator hijinks. So yeah, I, in fact, I want Patrick on my side if I'm walking around. He, he's the kind of guy like, hey, will you walk me home at night, Patrick? Is the kind of thing, you know. So I'm I defer to him on all matters. Brian, the man making the big the headlines certainly that have made their way over here this week in American sports is a local guy for you, or certainly played plays for your San Francisco 49ers, Chris Borland. We've outlined this a little bit. Um, a 24 year old who has decided to retire because of his long-term fears over concussion. Seems like uh, quite an incredible, an incredibly brave move to make. It's a hell of a story, boys. It is burning up uh, the American sporting scene and, like you said, the international sporting scene, too. Yeah, because, um, you know, it's funny. It's like, I was thinking about this right before we came on, and that is, I remember we all talked October 2013 about the whole League of Denial book and documentary that came out. And and we all said, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with all this data now out of it, that the NFL has done its best to uh, hide uh, data about concussions, uh, maybe not even be honest with its uh, personnel about the long-term brain damage. And we started to see, hear these creepy stories of players uh, taking their own lives and shooting themselves in the chest, Junior Seau, Dave Dewerson, Ray Easterling, and donating their brains to science. And then we learned about this thing called CTE. And I remember saying, you know what's going to happen? Well, what's going to what's the future going to be like? And then and then we kind of move on, right? We all go, oh, hey, the playoffs are here. Tom Brady, hey, uh, the Seahawks didn't run the ball from the one. Hey, what's going on with LeBron? And then here we are now, 18 months later, and we see a domino fall from that league of denial because Chris Borland, this outstanding linebacker, all American linebacker at Wisconsin, uh, known to be undersized, not not the tallest or the fastest or the sleekest guy out there but just an unbelievable football player in terms of reading plays, darting through holes, taking tackles. He was drafted in the third round by the 49ers, which is not the first round, but it's also not the seventh round. You generally draft a pretty valuable player in the third round. Many uh, scouts said, oh, he's too small, too short. The 49ers put him on the field last year because of injuries in his rookie year, and that guy was amazing. Like, honestly, one of the best football players in the NFL last year in his brief time for this guy. To announce his retirement was so sudden and so out of left field. People are still left. We're a couple like 48 hours removed now, almost 72 hours removed. We're still trying to put the pieces together, and I think we will be for a long time, guys, as to what this means. Immediately, camps have been formed uh, predictably sort of in today's society. One camp saying, oh, my God, here it is. This is the beginning of the next generation of football in America. Where really talented and really pl- and players who can make a lot of money and be really famous are saying it's not worth it. No, knowing what I know, I, I just don't want to do this to myself. I want to live a long life. And the other camp saying it's one player. Ninety nine point nine nine seven percent of the players are returning to play next year. For every Chris Borland that retires, there's going to be another guy who steps in and wants to play. Don't overreact to it. So we're having a really hot debate today. I, the answer isn't going to come. I don't think anytime soon. The, the coming years will tell us. But given that Patrick Willis, an outstanding linebacker at age 30, resi- uh, retired because of his bad feet, given that Tennessee quarterback Jake Locker just announced he's lost his passion for the game at age 26, given that a, a Pittsburgh uh, Steelers linebacker named Jason Worlds just announced that he wanted to pursue other interests interest at age 27, it certainly has gathered steam. And not to mention, guys, Borland admitted that he read the book League of Denial, the very book we talked about, Last December, on the sly, couldn't bring it into the locker room, and it played a major role in his decision. So, yeah, huge news. Yeah, that was one of the details I found quite interesting from the Mark Van Urwada article. Uh, it was a follow-up piece that he did explaining a little bit about Borland's decision-making, about the process that led him to deciding to finish his career. I, I was quite struck by the, the fact that he was reading the book with a fervor away from the locker room, but it's not the kind of thing you bring into the locker room. And in fact, he did a load of research. He spoke to experts in the field uh, of neurology, people who've been studying concussion in in Boston and elsewhere. He spoke to former players, some of whom encouraged him to be brave and to make the move. Um, But he didn't speak to the NFL or his team, it seems like, in terms of uh, consulting with them in any way, which would lead you to believe maybe that there's still an element there that while the NFL would like you to believe that they've they've done all they can at this stage and they they will continue to do so, uh, this player obviously didn't trust them enough that he spoke to any of their experts. 
Yeah, isn't that interesting and, and very instructive? And, 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 you know, that brings to the other uh, – the analogy of that first camp of people saying, you know, hey, man, this is a big deal. This is, this is the future wave of football where we're going to see more and more of this happening. The analogy has been drawn to big tobacco from the 1960s uh, where, you know, the Surgeon General of the United States started saying, hey, smoking is hazardous to your health. And all the, the, you know, the absolute denial and the studies that were released by the tobacco companies, R.J. Reynolds and all those tobacco growers down in North Carolina, refuting, 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 because they're very, their pie, the piece of the pie was being taken away. Soda pop is the new thing now, or in new cities like New York City and Coca-Cola and, and Pepsi are being viewed as the villain. And they, are too, are scrambling to protect their image. Well, Chris Borland made that analogy in why he didn't seek uh, the NFL's advice or counsel on this. He, he said, you know, he was very diplomatic about it. He said, I'm not calling them, I'm paraphrasing here. People can read the piece, of course, but he said uh, something like, I'm not calling them evil, but they are a business, and, and a business is not in, the, in, it's not in business interest to disseminate negative information about its own business. So he said, so that's why I didn't go there. Interestingly, when he told the 49ers about his retirement, he did this last Friday the 13th, March 13th, their immediate reaction was that, well, they were, of course, shocked. And then second of all, they said, would you like to see another specialist for another opinion? And he declined their offer because he knew well that they would probably send him to somebody. You know, I'm not saying if anybody saw the movie Any Given Sunday, where Oliver Stone kind of exaggerated all the caricatures of the NFL, James Woods played an evil doctor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Made sure, that the, <laughs> made sure that the players all got out there at any expense and lied to their faces. I'm not saying the 49ers were going to send Borland to James Woods from any given Sunday, but they were going to, you know, he was new enough to say, listen, I've done my research. I've talked to the people who are in the know. You mentioned the Boston neurologist. There's one in Pittsburgh, too. These are the people the Fainaroos, the Fainaroo brothers uh, relied on uh, to, to craft that incredible book, League of Denial, that, that um, you know, with these guys are doing the research on the front lines uh, without bias, without protecting uh, a billion-dollar industry. So Borland said, to the NFL and the 49ers, no, that's okay. I don't need yours. I, I'm, I did my own stuff. Now, how many players are going to have sort of the, the foresight and the intellectual sort of capabilities of a Chris Borland? This seems like a pretty special kid who takes a lot of time and thought and care. Not every 24-year-old kid takes a lot of time or thought or care in anything. <laughs> Hell, remember back to when you were 24. You guys are 24, as far as I'm concerned. You're so young. Uh, that, you know, this so Borland is a little bit special, but I don't think he's going to be alone. There will be others who have that kind of brain in their head and at least do a whole other angle, guys, of, of Lee Steinberg, the agent, going out and saying he thinks this is going to be now re- tied to socioeconomics, that, that the players who have the most education in their background and come from the most comfortable homes with the most educational options will be more like Borland and the players who come from the most hard scrabble backgrounds or the most poverty stricken backgrounds who have no other way out, they're going to be the ones who just step into the fray no matter what. And that's one of the theories going forward. Yeah, he's he's from a middle class family, very well educated, has a degree in history. So we all know you can just walk into a job with a degree in history. But uh, he did make that joke. Yeah, he said not every employer is going to be drooling over my degree in history. Yeah. But I mean, do you think yeah. is is the NFL happy enough to allow that socioeconomic gap to to grow? Uh, to just let it be uh, a sport that's played by kids who have no other option or. I don't know. You know, I mean, that's what that's that's where we're at right now in, in sort of what we said at the outset of the conversation that, man, we're not going to get our answers for a while now. The NFL hasn't made any statements really about it. Um, to my knowledge, if they have, it was the most tepid, uneventful thing. You know, what's Roger Goodell going to say uh, about this phenomenon? What's what's the future of the NFL going to look like? I suppose, you know, give uh, my, my first guess or my first instinct would be, yeah, we you know we're going to get kids who are athletes who are hungry who want to play the great game of football. You know, I mean the game itself has a tremendous appeal to everybody. You guys, in the years I've known you guys, your NFL awareness and passion has increased each year. Everybody knows more about the game and follows the game. I mean the game doesn't. We're not repulsed by the game like some people are by say, you know, uh, mixed martial arts or boxing or something like that. Um, but, so, I mean, they're going to probably bank on the game and say, yeah, guess what? If, if you guys are talking about sociological change and, and players not playing anymore and mothers and fathers and suburbia in America having their kids not play football, they're going to bank on the fact that there's 350 million people in America 
that there's going to be a lot of quality athletes who do spectacular things on the field, and we're going to tune in on Sundays, and we're going to play fantasy football, and we're going to gamble, and we're going to watch the draft and see great stories. You know, sort of side note, Patrick Willis, who just retired for the 49ers, seven-time Pro Bowler, one of the borderline Hall of Fame players, might go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame even though he only played eight years, and usually you have to play, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years to get in the NFL Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. His story alone is the kind of story that the NFL likes to sell because he came from an incredibly uh, hard scrabble background in Tennessee. Mother gone from the outset. The father was abusive. He took, Patrick Willis took his two younger siblings out of a, a trailer and moved in with his high school basketball coach who took him in, a white family, took in these three African American kids. He winds up being, you know, the prom king of his high school, winds up going to Ole Miss, becoming an All-American, winds up becoming a, a Pro Bowl, all-star player for the 49ers. Uh, his message, he's an incredibly engaging and charismatic and intelligent guy whose message uh, was always sort of embraced. They'll say, yeah, we for every Chris Borland, we'll have a Patrick Willis come along. So that's my guess. I don't know what the NFL is going to do. They're going to continue to to say, you know, we have a safe game, we're taking more and more. I think they're trying to sell that, they're, that they are engaged in, in teaching youth football players a safer way to tackle, in using better helmets that are more protective. They're trying to sell that. But for every Chris Borland, there's going to be any number of parents in suburbia. I see it with my own eyes. I live in, I live in Caucasian suburbia in America. You're going to see families move the other way. Brian, we're lauding this player, Chris Borland, for having the bravery to walk away from a hugely lucrative career. He was scheduled to make $540,000 this season, and if things had gone well for him, that would presumably go up and up. He's moved away, but is it actually, has he been universally acclaimed in the US, or is there a sense of, I know when players retire and have retired here from any sort of sport, prematurely or sort of of their own volition there's a sense of shock almost a sense of why would you do that really I mean the concussion thing sure but you seem pretty healthy now has there been an element of people saying um, you're absolutely crazy Chris Borland to walk away so far and we're still early we're only two three days removed from this so far people are taking the high road on this even his fellow players many of whom took to social media I think that's readily available for you guys. You guys want to go out there and just kind of Google NFL players' reaction to Chris Borland. There's a string of tweets that are out there, starting with, say, Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson, who's very famous, obviously. He played with Borland at Wisconsin, immediately tweeted out, uh, you know, how much he uh, respected him um, for his decision, et cetera. Chris Long, star uh, player for the St. Louis Rams, same thing. I respect it. Um, uh, the, the closest thing guys have said, I think Tremaine Brock, his teammate on the 49ers, and Bobby Wagner, great linebacker for the Seahawks, said things like, huh, I, I, it's not the decision for me, but, I, you know, mad respect for Chris Borland and his game, mad respect for Chris Borland and his, his decision, I wish you luck, bro, this kind of stuff. So, so far we haven't seen anybody come out and just flat out rip him. Kind of like, like a, I'm waiting for like a Rush Limbaugh type to uh, just come in and just say something moronic and idiotic like him defending the University of Oklahoma uh, uh, racist chants on that fraternity bus, you know, saying that if Kanye West recorded it, it would be a number one single. There's got to be some moron out there who's going to do that because the closest we came actually might have been on the Murph and Matt show on KMBR. We have a the 49ers radio color analyst, a guy named Tim Ryan, and he's a former NFL player. And he was, he came on our show yesterday and he was pretty emotional. He said, I'm really upset. He said, I loved watching Chris Borland play. I love football. And he was such a fantastic player. My uh, entertainment is going to be deprived. So I started to ask him, I said, you know, with this kind of movement towards early retirements here in the NFL, Patrick Willis, Chris Borland, and Tim jumped in on my question. And this got a little bit of traction yesterday on social media. He jumped in in the middle of my question. And he said, whoa, whoa, let's get this straight now. And he said, I don't mean this to be punitive towards Borland, but he said, Patrick Willis retired, Chris Borland quit. And that immediately, that phrase, Patrick Willis retired, Chris Borland quit, that got traction on social media yesterday. People started to react, hey, Tim Ryan, you're a Neanderthal. Hey, Tim Ryan, you're a moron. Hey, let the kid do his own thing. Then other people saying, well, he's right. Chris Borland did quit. That's kind of the definition of quitting. When you sign a contract for four years and after one year you say, I don't want to do this anymore. So that's the closest we've come to any kind of skirmish. And I can kind of see both sides. I mean, the word quit is such a, um, you know, so pejorative. 
but it's also a definition of a situation, and you could make an argument that it fits this situation, that he signed a four-year deal and he quit after one year, or he gracefully retired after doing much research into, you know, what's best for his own life, you know? One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? I mean, it's like, how do you define these things? How do you look at the world? So that's where we're at right now as far as public reaction. Yeah, the other thing that's going on, Brian, is March Madness, of course, the uh, college basketball. And I've I've done my brackets here with the help of Murph. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, well, by brackets, we, we kind of skipped along to the Final Four and indeed the final itself, the championship game. And we've decided, Murph, the winners are going to be Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah. 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 And there's, there's science behind this, Brian. We punched the numbers on this one. Uh, for one thing. You know what you guys are? You guys are brave, is what you are. That's <laughs> the one, you know, people say, what's the word quit mean? I would say, what's the word brave mean? And that means you guys taking Kentucky. That's very brave of you. <laughs> very brave. Well, no, our, our reasoning, Brian, is that they're, um, they're the tallest team that we've ever heard of in college basketball. Apparently, we read a piece in the New York Times that if they were to be in the NBA right now, uh, these are 20, 21-year-old lads. If they went into the NBA, they'd be the second tallest team in there. And also, uh, <laughs> slightly less scientifically, they've been nicknamed Monstars, which is a reference to the, as we all know, the gigantic alien dream team that takes on um, Michael Jam, Jordan Michael in Jordan, 1996 yeah, yeah. Space Jam. So. You guys are the Space Jam generation. Yeah, well, way to go out on a limb and take the 34-0 and team that's trying to uh, trying to become the first 40-0 and team since the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers. Everybody in the world is taking Kentucky to win the championship. That's why if you're going to win your bracket, you got to take somebody other than Kentucky. I read those fancy papers like you you guys do too, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, all those heavy-duty intellectual papers. You know what they said? They said if you're going to win your pool, you can't take Kentucky. Game theorists would tell you that because everybody's going to take Kentucky, the only way you can win is to stand apart from the crowd like a contrarian gambler. So come on, do another bracket. Take somebody other than Kentucky, like me, who took Wisconsin to win it all. And you heard it here first, baby. <laughs> Wisconsin it is. Brian, listen, we'll uh, look after Patrick Connor when he comes over in a few days' uh, time. They call him Pecan, kind of like Alex Rodriguez is A-Rod. Pecan. You guys call him Patrick, Pecan, Pat. Just don't call him late for a fight, all right? <laughs> Sounds good, Brian. Take care. All right. All the best, guys. I cannot believe Brian sneered our March Madness selection. Sometimes it just makes sense to go with the favourites, especially when they're so damn tall. I think you can overthink these things, on you know, and our method, which team is the tallest, <laughs> seems like the sort of, the answer is staring you in the face, you know, maybe you're looking at it thinking, it can't be this simple. Well, turns out... The team that wins all is. the matches and is taller than the other teams in sports yeah. such as basketball. It That's wouldn't always be an advantage, but in, in actually in many sports... Tall, Being tall tallness is, is, is an advantage. Quite a good thing. It's a mega bumper extravaganza of a sporting weekend coming up, Murph. Oh, you best believe it is. There are it? a lot of... I wonder how many... We should take some sort of a book on how many times we'll hear, hear the term white line fever between 12.30 and about we should, 6.30 there, probably Someone should be running a book on it. A but full anyway, day of rugby. Yes, it starts Saturday morning with Italy-Wales kicking off at half 12. Ireland-Scotland follows at 2.30, followed by England-France at 5pm from Twickenham. We should have... We should have it wrapped up by around 4.45, posted England some sort of ridiculous 50-point tally that they have no way they're going to get to. Are you listening, Jim Taylor? Uh Sunday starts with Ireland on the verge of a second Six Nations title in three years. Uh, the women's rugby team, they play Scotland, and that's live on television. You may have read that uh, earlier on the week. RT Sport are showing it. Yeah, they're hoping for a favour before that from England. If England can turn over France, that means Ireland will just have to go in and win that game against Scotland. If France win... France have uh, a significantly better points difference than Ireland, but Ireland could still Ireland have a habit of putting a lot of points on Scotland on the women's. Yeah, if they, yeah, if they if they win by uh, twenty one more points than what France beat England by, yep. and that should be well within our compass. So hopes are high, and then of course outside of the rugby, there's Man at Liverpool at one thirty, Hull City against Chelsea at four pm, and Barcelona Real yeah. at eight pm. Uh, that's all on Sunday, and uh, Kilkenny Kilkenny Clare is the live game on TG Carr at two pm, followed by delayed but full. Coverage of Wexford versus Waterford in Division 1B. Busy weekend. Enjoy all of that. Have a listen to our football podcast. It's out now. We had Sid Lowe and Richie Sadler, both of whom are talking quite a lot about Leo Messi. Also about nutmegs and various other phenomena around the modern day game. Ken, thank you. Thank you too, Owen. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Ken, and thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks so much for listening. Check out irishtimes.com forward slash podcast for some of the other shows, and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.